Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB, aka Danielle Bezalel. Let's get into it. Looking for a period game changer? Meet Lena, the reusable silicone cup that collects your monthly period blood. No odor, no leaks, and so comfortable you'll forget you're on your period. 90% of first-time Lena Cup users never go back to pads and tampons. Go to lenacup.com and use promo code SEXWITHDB to get $5 off your first order. Lena, a better period. Hey folks, we're back with another episode of the podcast, and this week it's all about healthy and unhealthy relationships, whether that be the one you have with yourself or with someone else, and how those two can be undeniably intertwined. First up, we have Tracy McNeil. Tracy is an engineer, a healthcare innovator, a mother, and a champion for women's health. Fueled by two decades in medical innovation, as CEO of Materna Medical, she maintains a focus that is both personal and universal. Then we have Sam and Ellen from One Love, an organization that educates young people about the difference between healthy and unhealthy relationships, empowering the next generation to put an end to violence and abuse. Sam is an engagement coordinator for One Love, and Ellen is One Love's executive director of the New York Tri-State Region. Leading initiatives to increase educational programming and partnerships, and empowering communities to end relationship violence through education and awareness. Let's get it going with Tracy. Amazing. So we'll just get started. Can you just share your name, um, a little bit about your background, and your job title for us? Yes, absolutely. So my name is Tracy McNeil, and I am president and CEO of Materna Medical, which is a med tech company that is dedicated to empowering women to protect and restore their pelvic health. We're going to talk about that. But um, who am am I? Why am I here? So I'm a engineer. I'm a chemical engineer and an MBA by background, and I'm passionate about bringing good technology to make people's lives better. Love it. Yeah. So yeah. short and sweet and to the point. That's um, it. And let's get right into it and talk about the Millie dilator. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us about it. What exactly is it? I think that honestly, before that I got in contact with you and learned about Millie, I didn't really know much about dilators and mm-hmm. who use them and what they're used for and, and kind of about other dilators that are different than Millie. So can you kind of like give us the 411? Oh, yeah. Uh, me too. I had never heard of dilators before I met the Materna team either. And now I'm so excited to be leading them into the next chapter because what I learned is that millions of women need them and don't realize it. And mm-hmm. um, there's, a, there's a lot of education to do. Um, yeah. So dilators are used not just vag- there are vaginal dilators. Millie is a vaginal dilator. So we'll talk about why and what that means. But there's actually dilators that kind of go into all your orifices. It's part of MedTech when MedTech uh, medical medical devices that when it, something is not as big as it's supposed to be, it needs to be expanded. So that can happen in your esophagus and, you know, so, but, um, but for, for Millie, we're serving a population of about 20 million women in the United States alone who have chronic painful tightness. And uh, that's essentially what, what, what dilators are. So I'll pause there if you have any questions about that, and then I can talk about what kinds of dilators are out there. Yeah, I mean, I guess 20 million is just 
so many people that like <laughs> right. you yeah. wouldn't really realize that that many people have vaginal tightness because no one talks about it, you know? No one does. Like, it's not yeah. some, like I think, you know, things with, especially with like the Me Too movement, like sexual mm-hmm. assault, sexual harassment, um, rape, those kinds of things are coming to the forefront. But mm-hmm. I would say that like pelvic pain and pain during sex are really still like not talked about at all. Yeah. Um, and I think that even though I'm in my mid twenties, like I definitely have experienced this and I think it is mm-hmm. sometimes seen as like, Oh, only older people experience that or, you know, like this kind mm-hmm. of person. But I really do think it can happen to so many people. Oh, so many people and for so many reasons, right? So about one in three women worldwide experiences pain during sex, one in three. So um, I I found that a jaw-dropping number. I didn't realize that until I was part of the maternal team. Um, and I think, so I have some hypotheses about it. I think that it's partly, well, I'll talk about the causes of pain in a second, but why people don't talk about it. I think that's just a stigma. I think people want to be whole and healthy. They want to be a great partner. And it's such a buzzkill for people to say, hey, this hurts. So people don't don't say anything. Right. Um, most of the time, they're not, many times, what, what our data shows, many times they're not admitting it really even to themselves. They're mostly not talking to their partners about it. And um, they're, they're not really ta- talking to their friends. So there's a lot of isolation around this issue, and it's something that I know you feel strongly about, and it's something that I, you know, I was really connected with your podcast and super happy to be part of it because I think there's just a lot of people who think they're the only ones. And Mil- at Materna and Millie, we want everyone to know you are not alone. It's really common. So we can talk about the causes of it, but yeah, I would, no, I would love, I would love to do that. Let's talk about like. What are the typical causes of pain during sex? What are kind of the what's the expansive list of things that can happen um, mm-hmm. to kind of get to this point? Yeah, right. So let's just say because I know you have an episode uh, on. I think you had an episode in one of your early seasons on BDSM, right? So that's this is right. all we did outside. This is all completely excluding folks that want that, right? So this is just about people who are trying to have a good time, trying to be pleasured and offer pleasure and it hurts. So causes in that group, we're talking about, um, it can be menopause. So it can be um, cancer survivors, endometriosis, fibromyalgia, cysts, fibroids, hysterectomy, as you mentioned, trauma, rape. Sometimes it's just people are just like that. They just have been like that forever. But that's a, that's less common. You know, mm-hmm. for the most part, those those one in three women will have pain for all those other reasons. Menopause is about half of it. So things just change. You know, it gets drier. The skin cells, like the delicate tissues there, just don't reproduce as fast. And um, a lot of times, you know, for, let's just take, for example, menopause. A lot of times, it's just dryness. And if you just get more lubrication, I know you have a great episode on menopause too. Um, you know, that's that's all that's required. But for some people, that's not enough, right? Mm-hmm. And and then if you take sort of go across to all those other categories of fibroids and cysts and um, endometriosis, once they get their basic condition addressed, and they should, by the way, um, STDs would also be in that category. You know, you got to get your underlying medical condition addressed, but for, for about 20 million women 
out of the 150 who experience pain during, sorry, that's not the right, one in three women out of 100. So 50 million experience pain during sex in the U.S., 20 million after all that will have leftover chronic pain and tightness because they get into a situation similar to low back pain where when you start experiencing pain, your body begins to brace itself. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Where you know your 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 muscles kind of contract and the nerve yeah, endings exactly. get yeah like they start to flare up and then you're sort of tense about it and then it hurts more. So that it's is never a ending cycle. Yeah, it's it's really it's well documented for many many decades in, in the healthcare industry called the pain spasm pain cycle. So, you know, in if you take low back pain, for example, what are some of the things that people do to relieve low back pain? You've got, like, massage. Right, and, the heating pad. Yep, ice, you know, ibuprofen. Um, in extreme cases, surgery, right? So, Millie and dilators more generally are in that same category of trying to interfere with the pain, spasm, pain cycle, where... You want to gently begin to get in there and kind of just help things relax. That makes mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess my question is, like, who who are your main customers um, and who is already using this? Um, for people who maybe should be using this, like, why aren't they using them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I think of it like a spectrum. Right. So on the far right end of the spectrum are the women who it hurts so bad that they can't ignore it anymore. Right. It hurts all the time. Some some people can't even get a tampon in or a pinky finger in. Um, like it's just a complete shutdown. And those folks often go to their doctor and they talk to their gynecologist and they're they're seeking help. And those folks most of them are not very well served. Most clinicians don't really know much about this. I find that surprising, but we have spent a lot of years working on this, and it is true that most clinicians will say to them sort of like what they say about back pain, like, well, I can't physically find anything wrong with you, so take an Advil and have a glass of wine. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. That's, that's like, like so gaslighty. <laughs> kind of like, no, you're fine. Just go home and rest. <laughs> Like, no, you don't understand. My vagina is really in pain. Yeah, it's like locked up. So those folks, if they have a better educated clinician, they will get advised to use what is considered to be the standard of care before Millie came along. We seek to change the standard of care. But the standard of care I think of as like, you know, those like, old, um, like, 1890s, like, Victorian-era medicine pictures of, like, the dude in the white lab coat and the woman in her corset and, like, some terrible, horrible implement is being sort of directed at her. Like, yeah. I think of static dilators kind of in that category. It's like a briefcase full of graduated cylinders, and they start small, and they go to sort of regular size, like what you'd want a healthy, normal vagina to be able to expand to on a daily basis. And the the therapy is that the woman is expected to every day lube them all up and start small and take it out and put it and do the next size up and put it in and take it out. And that's the standard of care. And I find it an embarrassment 
to the medical field that that's the best that we can offer these mm-hmm. patients because it's not the last thing that you'd want to offer a woman or, or a person with a vagina who has penetration anxiety, mm-hmm. right? Pain and tenseness around penetration, a series of getting larger things that she's supposed to put in there every day is about the worst thing I can think of. Yeah, especially, yeah, like you're right, especially if you're already nervous, like what mm-hmm. about these, you know, like I, I just mm-hmm. Googled an image of static dilator. Yeah, I encourage all the listeners to pull that it's up. Bad. Like it's, it's bad. Yeah. It, it does look very old and scary and kind of, it kind of reminds me of like how when you would go into a doctor's office and they'd be like open wide and they use the, what's that called that they push on your tongue? <laughs> the tongue like depressor, yeah. Like a pop yeah. stick. Yeah. Something that's really old that just like doesn't seem to match current <laughs> yeah. science and technology. Yep. Agree. Um, and you know, we, we're, we're familiar with a lot of the folks that make static dilators. They are wonderful people who want to make the world a better place. They've tried to make them pretty colors and they've mm-hmm. tried to make them out of silicone. And though, you know, I think that's helpful, but there is a better way. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I, Millie is all about trying to make that easier. For sure. And so, yeah, so moving forward, this episode, as we know, is all about healthy relationships and communication Mm -hmm. um, within that relationship, whether that be, you know, a relationship with yourself or a partner. Mm -hmm. And how do you think vaginal tightness or pain during sex could affect a relationship? And how can Millie kind of ease that pain, I'm wondering? Oh, yeah. You know, um, gosh, my heart just really breaks. You know, I think in a relationship, let's take the two cases, right? There's the relationship where the, the one with the vagina, the, the painful tightness is talking about it. And then mm-hmm. one where she's not. Right? So if, if, if it hurts me and I'm talking about it with my partner, there's a couple ways that can go. Like one, it's actually, I think, probably quite common to get negative feedback from a partner, right? Like partners are not always super understanding about it, mm-hmm. right? And, um, but I, I think that underneath it all, if that's the case, it's because folks are insecure, right? And they, they're, they don't know what, they don't want to hurt them, but most people do not want to hurt anybody, Mm-hmm. Right, And I think it's important in a relationship to talk about it. And there's a great YouTube video that I highly encourage all the listeners to go, go listen to if they're interested in this topic. It's called What Painful Sex Feels Like. Um, and it's put on by the BBC. And it's absolutely brilliant. But, the, you know, my favorite moment is about this woman who has endometriosis. And she's talking about her experience and what it was like when she finally told her husband. And he was absolutely devastated that he hurt her and she hadn't said anything. Right. Right. And so their story of getting her diagnosed, because she didn't know what the problem was. She thought there was something wrong with her, but she didn't know what it was. The clinicians, did, again, with the with the Advil and the glass of wine, like they couldn't find anything wrong with her. And, and he had to help her advocate for herself, right? And what I took from that is that in so many cases, when the couple finds the path through and... Millie will, I want I do want to talk about how Millie works, but when the couple finds the path through, it is such a breakthrough for them in a trust building and gratifying way, right? 
And absolutely. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Like dealing with your drama as a couple is the best way to become closer. Mm-hmm. So maybe I can take a segue and talk about how Millie works, and then I'll talk about um, you know what it's like for someone who's not talking about it. Yes, please. Um, so the way Millie works is basically it, it's about the di- diameter of a pinky finger, and it it goes in with a little handle that has an expander up and down, and the and the person with the vagina can decide how much expansion is desired in one millimeter increments. So to put that in perspective, that's like a couple of widths of a human hair. Very gradual dilation. And it's a single insertion. So it goes in once and it just gets bigger as you decide. And then you take it back out when you're done and wash it and put it away. It's in a discrete charging case. And, it, and it's um, no batteries or anything like that. It's covered in silicone, so it's, it feels kind of like lifelike. And mm-hmm. it's got it's the only dilator that's got vibration. So we actually, when we started, we we didn't want it to vibrate because we didn't want people to confuse it with a sex toy. It was exactly, yeah. I was going right. to say that. You know, that makes sense that people would think that. Yeah, and and we definitely are not a sex toy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a completely different reason you'd want to use Millie, right? Um, but but all of the doctors that we were working with and the clinicians, who the physical therapists and the folks that advised us in the development of it said, you know, you really need it to be, you know, you can make it optional, right? If she doesn't want to use vibration, she doesn't have to, but vibration really helps the pain receptors calm down mm-hmm. and our patients make faster progress. And that's what our survey data shows. Um, but that's basically, the, it's a simple device, and we have intellectual property on it. You know, it's our it's our contribution to humanity, but we really think it's a much better way for folks to, to deal with this. Yeah, and something that really struck me when I was going through your website is all of the testimonials that you all have. Can you talk mm-hmm. about, like, your customers and how they've responded to Millie? Oh, so sweet. it's just so, I love it. I love our patients. I love our people, and they really care about Millie. Um, what interesting thing is an interesting group of folks. Like, what we know about the people that use dilators is they want to be out of this category. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> they're not like they're not proud of being yeah in this category. Yeah, they might be grateful to Millie, but they don't really want to have this problem anymore. Um, and so, what what really strikes me as as um, particularly moving to ninety five percent of our clients prefer Millie to static dilators. And really, the ones that prefer the static dilators, like both, they tend to be transgender folks who just need a bigger, firmer thing mm-hmm. um, in the end, right? It's not always about dilation. Because so, transgender folks will need to use dilators for the rest of their lives, typically, mm-hmm. to keep things kind of in the right shape. Okay. So, um, you know, so really, I think of it as like universal, preference to to a, an expanding dilator like Millie. So, um, but the thing that's so amazing is that they um, they're all very appreciative of the the not having to be penetrated over and over again, not having to go up a size. Like going up a size was really scary for folks, and they're yeah. they're, they're not they're typically like a centimeter. I know we're we're talking metric here, but it's ten times faster dilation you know, going from one size to another with a static dialer versus just going up a click on Millie. 
mm-hmm. you know, and that just seems You're like, a lot more yeah. in control of your kind of, you know, journey using this product, which is, I, I'm sure that customers yeah. love that. It's so well said, Danielle. It's, it's, that's exactly what it is. It puts her in control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And back to kind of this, the, the idea about relationships, right? So obviously, like, painful sex can have a really, really harmful impact on a relationship between two people. Can you talk a little bit about how the person who is in pain can also kind of get down on themselves and how it could kind of impact negatively the relationship that they have with themselves, whether that be their self-esteem, their, you know, solo sex adventures um, with the way in which they see themselves as like someone who's not able to experience pleasure potentially as maybe other people can. Yeah. I mean, gosh, think about this, the images that were shown by the media of what sex is supposed to feel like, right? You got these like, you know, just mm, delicious, passionate, you know, melting, easy, you know, in the movies, they just fall over on each other and and she's like, simple. yeah, it's like, you know, that's, I guess, how we're supposed to be, right? That's how our vaginas are supposed to respond. Mm -hmm. And when they don't, respond that way like maybe our minds are totally into it mm-hmm. but I mean you know a side point about this, the size of this part you talked earlier about how many people this is this is ten, 10 times the market of erectile dysfunction wow 10 times as many people have this I problem. never would have guessed that based on how much advertising there is for erectile dysfunction mm-hmm. and it's completely okay to talk about erectile dysfunction right Mm-hmm. So I think that well, and I also to be to give some credit to to the guys, I think that if they could hide their problem, they would. Mm-hmm. Right, but it's such a showstopper <laughs> for their totally. for their lives, right? That they are willing to to just go do that and um and and talk about it, whereas women can hide it, and I think that they all people would prefer to not talk about it because. I think they think they're failures, right? Mm-hmm. Like something's wrong with me that I'm not just melting here and it's not all just rocking and ready to go. And it it is actually a, a very addressable problem. You know, typically on average, milli users are able to return to sex in less than 90 days. Which is so short when you think of probably how long some of these people have been struggling with this issue. Oh, on average, our milli users have been struggling with it for years. Yeah, I can imagine. And suffering. Yeah, yeah, and and there's also kind of two other populations that kind of I mentioned, or we kind of talked about in the beginning, but I want to delve a little bit into um, cancer survivors as well as older menopausal identifying women. Um, and so cancer survivors first, um, I think like a lot of things change, obviously, when people get a cancer diagnosis, their Mm -hmm. priorities have to shift, you know, chemo, especially if that's something that they're enduring. Really, I've never had a personal experience with this, but I do have family members who have, and Mm -hmm. it, it can seem excruciatingly hard um, mm-hmm. to have to go through the motions of everyday life. If you have kids, if you have a life, if you can't go to work anymore, you know, all these things are changing. And then there's 
things that are happening with your physical body, right? Of like mm-hmm. maybe nausea or other th- your hair falling out or other things that you might be experiencing. Maybe there's depression or anxiety um, that goes along with this. But I do think that pain during sex is one of the potential things that can happen um, after a cancer diagnosis, after going through chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, could you kind of talk about that population of Millie users and mm-hmm. how Millie has helped them in their experience? Yeah. Yeah, this is a, a really special population for me. Um, I think that, and I'm sorry that your family's gone through that. That's, it's, it's such a hard thing for, yeah. for, for people and their, and their loved ones. Um, well, so there's a couple of things. Let's, let's talk about the facts of like what's happening. So there's a couple mm-hmm. of things. So there's, there's chemo and then radiation. And those two things are diff- have different effects on, mm-hmm. on the situation. So chemo can often, well, it does two things. It'll, it, the way chemo works is it stops all the rapidly producing cells in the body, like mm-hmm. cancer tumors, right? But it's also your hair and your skin and the lining of your stomach. So that's why people get nauseous and that's why their mm-hmm. hair falls out. And, and, um, it also affects the lining of the vagina. So that can be really painful and it can kind of get you into that pain spasm pain cycle. Mm-hmm. Also, chemically, what can happen is it can put a, put women into an extreme and sudden menopause. Mm. regardless of their age. So then they've got a, a lot of the symptoms and issues of menopause, which is um, also can put them in the pain, the pain spike cycle. We call it the spiral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we call it the spiral, not just because you're going around and around with your pain, spasm, pain, but also you're trying to find clinicians who understand you and you're going from doctor to doctor and you're just not getting any help and, and getting down totally. on yourself, right? We, we call that the spiral at Materna. Trying to help people get out of the spiral. So, the other thing that can happen, let's, so that's chemo. Radiation is something different where, I didn't realize this, but in, in a lot of the pelvic cancers like cervical cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, and, and some of the GI tract cancers as well, like um, colon cancer, um, they will deliver radiation through the vagina. Oh, my God. I had no idea. I know. It sounds like a nightmare. Right, I mean, just terrifying. so so terrifying, um, and these are people fighting for their lives, so they're willing to. But um, it can cause a lot of like burning and you know just pro- problems, right? And some of those can just be structural. Um, I was talking to uh, a young woman whose mother is going through ovarian cancer, and um, she, my the, the, the young woman was in her twenties. The, the mother was only in her fifties, and. Um, and they were uh, trying to deal with this issue, but the mother was really shy. You know, we were talking earlier, Danielle, about the how people don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people won't even talk about it with their physician. It, it's maybe a side note worth talking about here. It's, I highly recommend to, any, to you and any of the listeners um, the, the book Pussy, Regina. Um, oh, gosh, what's her, what's her last name? I'll think, about, I'll think of it, but... Um, she has this incredible insight about how women do not refer to their own anatomy. Mm. That most, you know, all the silly names that you're taught to, to call it, you know, like a PP or the fine China or all these sort of euphemisms right. to refer to the, um, Regina Thomas Howard? Thomas, 
Thomas Howard, that's it. Regina okay. Thomas Howard, thank you. Her book, all of her work, she's got Mama Gina's School for Women, you know, uh, Women's Wisdom. I mean, it's just, she's, she's a really incredible, um, thought leader on this topic. But the thing that really struck me about her work is she, she points out that most girls and women are taught never to refer to it at all. Mm-hmm. They don't call it anything. It's nameless. It's that which shall not be talked about. And most people, I think, take that even into the doctor's office. So you've got this problem, but you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to say it to your doctor. You've never mm-hmm. said the word before. And I think that's what happened to this this mother-daughter. And the daughter was the one describing the story. And she said, you know, I could tell by what my mom was saying that she was trying to say something's not right down there. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't saying it clearly enough that the doctor could hear her. And so he was kind of brushing past it. And so the daughter was the one that stopped it and advocated. She was like, I think she's trying to tell you to take a look. Mm-hmm. And once the doctor looked, he realized that it was, it was starting, the vagina was starting to close and it needed dilators. And he prescribed these static dilators. And um, then they found Millie and they said it was life changing because the dilators were painful and messy and embarrassing. The mother was just completely, you know, this is somebody who wouldn't normally even talk about the topic, having to do this thing every day with this monstrosity of a device, you know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. understandable that people don't want to talk about it, but some folks with cancer may be using dilators for the rest of their lives, depending on what, what happens to them during their treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that's just so, it's really wild to think that, that that after, like, a cancer diagnosis, people don't really think about, like, okay, I've, if I've even, like, been able to beat the cancer, like, then what does my look like, my life look like afterwards, you know? Mm-hmm. And that could absolutely be a part of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you talk about people who don't want to be in a category anymore. Right, mm-hmm. they wanna they wanna get back to a normal life. They've had a terrible time getting through this thing with their partner, and then on top of it, nothing is the same down there anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you know, also having a, an expanding dilator can be nice for the couple because what what most of most mill users eventually find is gives them the fastest return to a, to normalcy is using it right before intercourse. Mm-hmm. So with or without their partner. So they'll find that, you know, just sort of relaxing everything, getting it kind of settled down. Um, it's, it's nice, you know, it's nice to see people being women, you know, people with vaginas being empowered to care for themselves. Yeah, yeah totally. Mm-hmm. And it really does. I feel like it's such an empowering tool, especially that has this like, extra vibration that like regular dilators definitely don't have mm-hmm. and it's like this calming kind of you're like we've already said but like this person is completely in control you know like mm-hmm. if they want to make it bigger or smaller or experience whatever kind of functionality that that Millie has to offer I think it's a lot better than than the popsicle <laughs> stick version yeah <laughs> um, yeah um, exactly you know? but um yep. but yeah so yeah. One of my last questions that I have for you, and then I'm, you know, curious to hear whatever else you want to hit on that we haven't chatted about, but how about this older and menopausal crowd? Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, last season, my mom, who's an OB-GYN, came on and talked about um, how in her practice, she sees a lot of menopausal women and about, you know, she says, you know, 
typically for some patients, she can't even, you know, stick her pinky finger inside of their vaginas. And, you know, because either they, they just don't have sex anymore or they don't masturbate or all these different kinds of reasons. If they're on certain kinds of medication, you know, hormone mm-hmm. issues or different kinds of hormones than they had previously, you know, for people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s even, you know. Um, and this is definitely an issue for older populations and yeah. when my mom kind of said to me, like, yeah, and then some of these women, you know, like, haven't had sex in, in five years. I'm just like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Like, if you're, mm-hmm. if, if you're someone who wants to have sex and, you know, there is technology and there are tools out there to have it. Um, so I'm curious as to, like, what kinds of customer testimonials you have from older patients and what they have shared their experience prior to Millie and kind of after they've experienced Millie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a huge life change and it's, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. Then that's, you know, it's it's such a big topic. Um, But I would say the, the majority of Millie users that are menopausal are people who are motivated to stay sexually active. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, uh, I think, you know, that's a, that's, that's a category in of itself. There are folks that just close up shop. That mm-hmm. happens, right? Whether it's trauma or um, it was just too painful for too long or they just don't have a partner or they, they hate the way they look. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people would close up shop. Mm-hmm. But most people don't want that. And most people want to be in a loving relationship where they can give and receive mm-hmm. intimate pleasure, right? Um, that doesn't have to include penetration, but for lots of people, it does. And um, and I love what, the way that you just said that. Sorry to interrupt, but I think oh, that yeah, that's so it's so important to recognize that there are obviously so many different kinds of ways to have sex, and penetration is just one of those ways, and it's kind of like the heteronormative way that we've been taught is the quote-unquote mm-hmm. correct way to have sex. And right. even if, you know, if there's not a penis involved, there is a vagina, there are other things, you know, that you might want to penetrate with, a sex toy, a finger, someone's mm-hmm. mouth like there are other mm-hmm. things and and it's just really important to remember that that's not the only way to have sex but please continue yeah no I think it's I think it's really important it's probably worth talking about how dilators go in conjunction with other therapies but maybe we can come back to that I, I mm-hmm. think that um that it's imp- well so one one of um one of our our board members is just an incredibly um inspiring leader who who worked on uh in the in the early 90s on bringing um yeast infection medication over the counter and i remember when that happened when monistat came out you know mm-hmm. before that all women that got a yeast infection which is most women in their lifetimes will get it once at least once oh for and, sure i've had it yeah. i've had it yeah, lifetimes of yeast yeah. infection yeah and you know the first time it happens you don't know what it is and you get you know but the but back then you had to go to the doctor every time and oh, wow. you know get it diagnosed it was like strep you know but what what happened when those yeast infection medicines went over the counter is two things, and she was a leader in, in doing this, and it's why I love having her on our board, is that she, they made it normal. Like, this is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. This is completely normal, and you've got this. You mm-hmm. can take care of this yourself. And to me, that's what dilators should be about. And what Millie 
seeks to do is to, is to really make it not a big deal and make it really easy to adhere to your therapy. Like, you do need to do it every day, like 15 minutes a day, which is kind of a thing. It's physical therapy. It is. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a drag. But, um, what, what we found is that, that when people do that, they, they tend to have a better self image. They tend to return to wanting intimacy, even if it is, whether it's penetrative or not right away, because it does, it takes time. On average, mm-hmm. 50% are able to return to penetration within 90 days. But that's, that's three months, right? Of every day. It's, it's mm-hmm. not, a, it's not a quick therapy, but it, it's better than suffering in silence for years or, or living in a, in a relationship where you want to be intimate but don't feel like you can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's characteristic of a lot of menopausal, postmenopausal relationships is that they were intimate but things changed and now it's like a new territory and it's confusing. And, um, you know, that's why we, we created Millie is to try to make it easier like normalizing it and making it easier. Absolutely. And yeah, you mentioned the the other therapies. Can we talk a bit about that? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's tough is that women, like we were talking about earlier, women in these categories often don't have a lot of choices. Like, you know, you've got pain relievers. Um, there are There are physical therapists that specialize in pelvic pain where you can go and have have your vaginal canal massaged by a professional to try to open it. Um, but that's, you know, we've all, I mean, for those of you who've been to any kind of physical therapy, you know, it's kind of thing. You got to make the appointment, you got to go, you got to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems like a pretty intimate relationship with your physical therapist. Um, but, for me, but mil- when I've gone to physical yeah. therapy, I felt like it was kind of like I was going to the doctor, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, this doesn't feel like really any different than me taking care of like other health issues that I have and therefore it doesn't feel easier just because, you know, it's a physical therapist rather than a doctor. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of physical therapists. They've, they've yeah. made a big difference in my life. The times where I've, I've ended up with like runner's knee and like this neck thing I get from stress, like they make, they are awesome people who make a great difference, but, mm-hmm. but it is a thing to go to physical therapy. And, and so Millie could be used in conjunction with that. Mm-hmm. Like to just get, I mean, and I highly recommend to folks that are kind of struggling to, to figure out how to open things back up that, Visiting a pelvic pain physical therapist is probably a real good idea to get started and just get oriented, normalize mm-hmm. it, get settled into your own, get, like sort of get your own mind and heart around what it, what's going on for you mm-hmm. so that then you, you might be a little bit more empowered to do your physical therapy at home with Millie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there are other things. You, know, you could, So there's pain relievers, which may be helpful in the beginning if you've got a lot of, like for those folks, like you mentioned, your mom can't get her pinky finger in there. You know? mm-hmm. But generally, our, our, what we've found from our patients is that is pain relievers don't, don't help a lot. Um, but, you know, massage does help and um, lubrication helps. And then I guess the other thing that folks can do is, um, is psychotherapy. And that is definitely worth discussing, too, if it's been a big life change. I mean, we've talked about a few different kinds of folks, cancer survivors, menopause, mm-hmm. um, lots of pelvic pain causes like fibromyalgia, um, hysterectomies, and like chronic endometriosis and fibroids. This, that's, 
that's some central pain that can go on for years and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and menopause, all of these things can cause big life shifts that aren't just about your physical body. Mm-hmm. And Millie can be a really nice compliment to those two. Yeah. And we had a whole episode, uh, previously in this season about sex and mental health. And it really Mm -hmm. just goes to show that all of this is so intertwined, you know, like Mm -hmm. everything that you're feeling about your physical body can interact with what you're feeling about your mental state and your self-esteem and that can impact your relationships. And it really just is a domino effect. And I, in that episode, I kind of talked about how big of a proponent I am of therapy and how obviously it's not accessible for everyone and it doesn't have the same impact on everyone, but if it does work for you and you think it might like please go like it's just so yeah. helpful to like <laughs> think through like what could be it's really just a soundboard for you to like understand what is going on how you can move forward in the healthiest possible way and especially mm-hmm. if you're having pain that is impacting your relationship with yourself or your relationship with others when you're having pain during sex um, and I think mm-hmm. that's yeah that's a really really good point that they're there, this isn't just happening, you know, Millie doesn't just exist in a vacuum. It's kind of yeah. all these other things that can, uh, that can join with it that can benefit somebody. Absolutely. Um, you know, actually while we're on it, I think, I think Reiki for folks that are, that are willing to consider energy modalities, like laying on of hands, you know, um, polarity therapy, there's, those are also really gentle healing techniques that can be, that can be nice and, and I think are worth considering for folks that are open to that as well. Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes to this all. I'm just so happy mm-hmm. that we have like this opportunity to chat with you about um, pain during sex. And I guess my final question to you would be, if there are folks out there who have struggled with pain during sex and have yet to kind of do anything about it for one reason or another, because they're on their own kind of path of figuring out what that means to them and how exactly they want to um, go about changing that if and when they decide that, um, what would you say to them for, for those folks who have struggled with that and maybe it's impacted their own relationships? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, we're at Materna and Millie, we are all about three levels of empowerment. The first level of empowerment is to listen to your body empowering yourself to listen to your body. Your body is sending you pain signals because it's trying to tell you something. Mm-hmm. So we, we want people to stop overriding those signals. If it doesn't feel good, listen. Mm-hmm. That's the first level of empowerment. The second level of empowerment is the empowerment of your voice. So talk to someone about it. If you can talk to your partner, that's the best. Um, if you can't talk to your partner, that's a question. That's also mm-hmm. a flag. But, right. But, but far, far be it from me to give people advice about that. Try to find someone you can talk to about it. A trusted friend, a clinician, a, a, a physical therapist who specializes in pelvic pain, your gynecologist. Like, talk about it. And don't give up if the first person you talk to doesn't know how to help. There are, there are people out there. Contact Millie. We know resources that we can put you in touch with that can give you some, some guidance. Um, and the third level of empowerment is knowing that you can do something about this and taking, taking action through use of Millie, through picking the right other therapies that go, that go with it that fit you and your lifestyle. Absolutely. You're not alone and there is a path through. That's what I'd really love for people to know. 
Are you going back to college or grad school this fall? Or maybe you're just on a student's budget. As a grad student myself, I know I for sure am. What's the one thing that should be on everyone's back to school list? A vibrator, of course. If you want an incredible, high quality new sex toy for under $50, Sweet Vibrations is the place to go. Sweet Vibrations is an adult boutique that promotes self-care, breaks the sex toy taboo, and encourages open, empowering conversations surrounding vulva sexual health and desires. And the best part? All four of their amazing toys have a lifetime warranty, just in case. Visit sweetvibes.toys to get your new shiny toy. Are you a cancer survivor or do you know someone who is? Earlier severe menopause and painful vaginal sex can often be an undiscussed and unexpected side effect to cancer treatment. Luckily, Millie can help. Millie is the gentlest dilator on the market with user-controlled in-vagina expansion, enabling gradual increases in size with only one insertion. Getting better is hard. Don't shortchange your progress. More than 50% of sexually inactive Millie users return to sex within three months of using Millie, with 30% reduction in pain and anxiety. Use Millie to have more pleasurable sex and break your cycle of pain. Go to www.millimedical.com to check it out. Awesome. Well, Ellen and Sam, I'm really, really excited to have you here. Um, and let's just kind of get started with hearing your names, a little bit about your backgrounds and your titles. All right. Well, my name is Ellen Blay, and I'm the executive director of the One Love Tri-State Region, which includes New York City, New York State, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And I came to One Love uh, about two years ago, almost exactly, from the workforce development field. Uh, I worked in East Harlem uh, with uh, unemployed people that were facing really high challenges. And uh, what I loved about One Love is it's addressing a real, uh, what we call a core issue uh, that causes a lot of other um, problems in society. So very excited to be part of One Love. Yeah. Um, and my name is Sam Hansen. Um, I work on our tri-state engagement team. Um, which, like Ellen said, um, oversees like New York, New Jersey, this area. Um, I specifically manage our partnerships in New Jersey as well as um, our college campus ambassador program. So about 100 different students across uh, 95 different colleges in the country that do my job on a smaller scale on their college campus. That's amazing. That must yeah. be great. Yeah, and then I've been with One Love um, for about a year and a half. Um, I came here after um, doing three years with um, another nonprofit that works with um, youth mental health. Um, and I actually heard um, one of our colleagues speak at an event and totally fell in love with, with One Love. And when decided I wanted to leave, I, I jumped ship and came here. <laughs> Happy to have both of you here and dive into One Love and really learn about what that is and all the amazing work that you all are doing. Um, so how did One Love come to be and what is its overall goal? So One Love started uh, after the death of Yardley Love, who was a senior at the University of Virginia. Uh, she was an athlete and she was killed two weeks before graduation by her ex-boyfriend. Mm. And during the trial, the family began to understand that what they thought was just uh, a random violent incident 
uh, was actually uh, very, you know, there were many, many signs that this was a an abusive relationship. Right. And they also realized that neither themselves or their friends or her friends had really had the vocabulary to recognize um, these signs. And in fact, the friends, you know, might have described the relationship as dramatic or intense, but didn't realize that these were very well-studied, predictable uh, signs that, you know, could lead to abuse and also ultimately to danger. So the family decided to create the One Love Foundation in honor of Yardley Love to educate young people about the warning signs of abuse or, or unhealthy relationships, but also to really empower young people to understand the signs of healthy love and, yeah. and what are the behaviors that lead to a happy, healthy relationship. And so we talk a lot about you know the difference between unhealthy and, and healthy love. Uh, we try to empower young people, as I said, to, to understand it in their own relationships, but also in their friends, and to really uh, create a front line of bystanders that can help a friend or a family member who's in need. And to do this, we create a very powerful, relatable film content, uh, which has the uh, ability to you know, drive through, um, get the point across, and then have conversations afterwards. And that's what Sam and our entire engagement team, engagement coordinator team, do. They go to schools, colleges, uh, all around the country, and uh, you know, show these workshops. And they also train other people to do these workshops. So in uh, the five years of our real operating existence, we have reached 700,000 young people across the country. Oh my God, that is a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That's a really incredible number. And that's just through in-person. That's like person-to-person, in-person. We've reached well over a million online with um, our film content Mm -hmm. um, across the board. That's really great. Which is fun. Awesome. Um, So kind of what you mentioned was that, what I heard was that you're saying, you know, there are the signs of an unhealthy relationship and then there are signs of a really healthy and loving relationship. Um, And... As we kind of talked about before we started rolling, we were kind of saying we're never specifically taught how to love, um, and in many cases we learn by experience. Um, So how do we make sure that we're learning the right ways to love, and what can we do to unlearn um, unhealthy habits? And then kind of subsequently, can you talk about the workshops that One Love facilitates in, in talking about these things? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll start with the workshops first, just so it kind of makes sense. Um, but like Ellen said, we have a menu of different options and something that's really, really interesting with One Love is that we do, um, really try to utilize that train the trainer model, um, for a bunch of reasons. A, you know, there's not enough of us to be everywhere where we need to be. It's in such high demand and, um, obviously with podcasts like this, people want to talk about it, right? Right. People want to have those conversations. So um, going out there for that reason, as well as especially working in schools, the teachers, well, we're the experts in, you know, this type of work. The teachers are the experts in their students, right? So it makes a lot more sense for me to go in and work with a health teacher that sees these students every single day for four years um, that has a relationship with them 
to talk about relationships. Mm-hmm. It's so much more relatable than me going in as a stranger and saying, hi, I'm Sam. I'll be here for 90 minutes and then I'm going to leave. Right. Right. Why would they trust you? Why would you they know? trust me? And we also want to create that culture change, right? So coming in on a one and done workshop truly doesn't make sense. And it's not what we want to do, mm-hmm. right? We want to have the conversation continued. We want it to be built into the fabric of the school, the fabric of the community. Um, because when we talk about relationships, a lot of people's brain immediately goes to a romantic relationship, somebody you're dating, somebody you're hooking up with, whatever it is, but it's truly relationships in general, right? We have a relationship now that, you know, we've met and I'm talking here where you have a relationship with your teacher, your friends. These are all things that we want to do and we want to start as young as possible. Um, So we try and start with fifth grade and up, right? Starting with middle school um, on one of our pieces of content, we call them the couplets. Um, They're these little animated jelly bean looking guys (sighs) that, um, you know, they're 15 seconds. They're super quick. They're funny. Um, and they show a healthy behavior immediately followed by its unhealthy counterpart, Mm. right? So it's showing, you know, using, um, we'll use intensity as one of the examples where, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. You know, this person just started following me on Instagram. This is so cool. And then immediately it shows, oh my gosh, they started following me everywhere. Right. So it's like, oh, here's a good thing, right? Like, oh, it's exciting. This person I have a crush on is liking all my Instagram posts or whatever. And then it's like, oh, well now they're also demanding my location or following me after class or showing up my apartment. Right. Mm. All of these different things. So we talk and we really try and stress with middle school that this is things that you do with your friends too, right? Um, we always talk about among the engagement team too, even you know, growing up in the MySpace era, the amount of fights that would come with who's on your top eight. Oh my right? god, Where isn't that like, insane? Right? That they would like re- that they would do would that rank. to youth exactly to like make us make I was in those decisions. And I was like, well, you're my second best friend. Yeah, right? it's not healthy and it's, at and it's all. Accepting that, I forgot about that, right? And you know, we talk about it all the time in the office because how many arguments it started when you were like 13 and 14 years old. And then, you know, if nobody corrected that, right? Like if my mom didn't sit down with me and be like, you're fighting with Emma for this reason that is so dumb, she's your best friend. Right. I would never, I would have accepted that in my, you know, romantic relationships too, right? With my partner, I would be like, well, you can't have more than one friend. Like I should be your end all be all. Mm. So it's really starting with middle school, learning those conversations, learning the words, right? Like learning that, no, this isn't just annoying. This isn't just drama. This could be something that could affect your friendship, which could then affect your romantic relationships, which could then affect your relationship you have with your boss and your job and, and all of these different situations. So starting very young, um, is how we really like to do this and then working up. Right. So, um, another big chunk of our content falls under, um, what we call our, that's not love content, which are all different, um, short films that range from, you know, 90 seconds to an eight minute film that truly focuses on everything from, um, understanding the difference between care and control, right? So simple phrases like, because I love you, because I care about you, we're trained from a really young age again to, to think that that's good, right? If somebody says, I'm doing this because I love you, you're like, oh, great. This person loves me. They're trying to take care of me. But in an unhealthy relationship, those phrases can be totally turned around and be changed into, because I love you, I need to have your phone password and be able to read all your text messages. And because I'm I'm worried, because I care about you, I need your location 24-7, so I know that you go straight straight from work home. Yeah. Um, that can be used 
to be super manipulative and really controlling. The thing about the phones these days, mm -hmm. and I'm sure it, you come across it all the Every time when you're interacting with single workshop. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like it is really common for people to kind of look at each other's cell phones yeah. and want, expect that that's their property too and they should be able, like that is a really unhealthy thing that even as like an adult, you know, I'm 26 years old and I see friends who are in relationships where they kind of look at each other's phones because of, you know, they want to know exactly what they're doing. And I understand to an extent of like, oh, wanting to know, you know, make sure that you're being honest with each other. But like, if you have to feel the yes. need to look at someone else's phone because you don't trust them, that's an underlying issue. It should be that mutual respect at baseline, right? right? If I'm giving you my phone password as right. my significant other, I'm trusting that you're not going to go read all my text messages with my friends, right? right? You're not going to go why through. Why would someone want to unless they feel like something right. is you're wrong? You're not going to go through my group chat with my sorority sisters right. and see what we're talking about right. or read my stuff with my mom, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in the same breath, if, if you're trusting me with that, it should be the same. It should be there totally. It, you know, it comes into the issue when it's like, well, I gave you mine, you should give me yours. Right. Or if I can have your phone password, why is your Instagram locked? Mm -hmm. Or things in that aspect where it does. It comes from that underlying, if you're doing it for a specific reason or trying to prove something, that's something we stress in every workshop is that I shouldn't have to prove myself to you, mm -hmm. right? If you don't trust me, we either need to figure out how to come to some type of common ground where mm -hmm. we can grow that trust together or we need to figure out that maybe we have different communication styles. Maybe we have different privacy levels that we just won't match up. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean my way's right and your way's wrong. It becomes unhealthy when it's, you have to do this or else I'm not going to trust you. Right. Or unless you share this with me, we're never going to get back to like a good situation. Mm -hmm. And that's where the unhealthy starts to come in because that's, a, that is, I'm glad you brought that up. It's another question we get all the time with like, is my relationship abusive or is it, is it unhealthy or is it, or is it just normal arguments? Right. right. Every relationship has arguments. Yeah. If you, it's not a healthy relationship, if you're glossing over everything and you're never having a disagreement. Right. So it's figuring out it's when those demands are being placed on somebody mm -hmm. or when it's like, if you don't do this, then we can't do this. Right. That's when the unhealthy starts to come in. Mm -hmm. And if it's affecting your everyday life, right. Jealousy is something we talk about all the time. Um, because 100% of us are going to do unhealthy things, mm -hmm. right? It's just we're humans. 100% right. of us are going to do unhealthy things, and 100% of us are going to have unhealthy things done to us. Um, it's when it starts affecting how you live your life, right? If I can't get through the day without thinking, oh my gosh, what's Danielle doing? She hasn't texted me. It's been two hours. Right. I've texted her five times. I don't know what to do. I can't focus. I'm not getting my work done. Right, that's clearly when it becomes unhealthy. It's right. not just like the general annoyance of like, hmm, it's like three o'clock and I haven't heard from my significant right. other. Maybe I'll text them. <laughs> it's when it starts to truly affect overall is when you know that happens. Totally. We, we start from the premise that love is a skill that you can actually learn. Mm. And so back to your original question about um, learning about healthy and understanding unhealthy. Right. We've created these 10 signs of healthy and unhealthy. And part of this is just really putting words to behaviors. And just that process of understanding that vocabulary, like you know, Sam has mentioned, um, a couple of them, jealousy, manipulation, intensity, and there's you know, a lot of others. So if you find that you're 
feeling really volatile or angry all the time, or if you're asking for the password and trying to really understand and control the other partner, if you want to it really be self-aware and understand your own behavior, it's really important to begin to ask why. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I acting this way? Why am I mad all the time? Mm. Why am I calling this person <clears throat> names? You know, and so, you know, and by the same token, if you're, you know, the, uh, the other side of that, really being aware of what you deserve in a, in a loving relationship. So just putting those words uh, into, onto paper or on the website is, is an important way of becoming aware. All of these films are available for free on our website, joinonelove.org, and uh, the 10 signs are also on there. And so yeah. I think it's really important to just educate yourself because, as I said, this is a skill, and skills need to be learned. Mm-hmm. And that feeds into, too, so one of our other you know pieces of content that we try and build up on um, is also under that That's Not Love content, um, and it's a film called Behind the Post, and it does, it looks at you know, that social media and that motivation of why we do things, mm-hmm. right? And it's done in a really cool way. I'm totally biased. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's done in a cool way where you see a relationship, right? You see this relationship between this young couple kind of happening. Um, and the entire time you're seeing in real time, like, what they're doing, whether they're on a date, whether they're hanging out their apartment, getting coffee, whatever it is. Um, and then the whole time you see their social media, like, news feed of, like, what they're posting on the side of it. Right. So you can see when things are good, right? And they're posting good things but then you can see when things are bad and they're still posting good things yeah right so it's like the psychology that goes into that that every time we talk about this every time you know I start to go through this and I say you know what's your motivation are you posting on your um, Instagram story because you're gonna look at it to see when that one person looks at your story and then you feel right. accomplished right? right you're like cool I went to this party and I said you know it's it's in relationships and it's other things in general too so I usually will ask the group that I'm with right like Who's gone to a party just because you don't, you've like FOMO and you don't want to see everybody else's story of them being there. Totally. So you go and then you, you post on it and you're not even having fun, right? How many times have you been like, wow, I would really rather be home watching Big Little Lies, right? <laughs> I'd really rather be, you know, finishing Orange is the New Black rather than like out at this party right now. But you go because you want people to think that you're going. Totally. Right? So what's your motivation? In the same breath, you know, I was working with one of my campus ambassadors once and she, she called me and she's been one of the campus ambassadors this is her third uh third year um so I've been with her for the last year and a half and she called me one day and was like she's one of our star facilitators too she's facilitated um over 1500 students on her campus have gone through escalation one of our other workshops with her specifically um which is crazy so all of greek life she took it upon herself to really bring this to her campus so she's totally ingrained in our work And she called me and said, you know, I was out with my boyfriend and we were at this concert and we got into this huge fight and she was like, but we took a picture beforehand and he left. He left her at the concert. He was just like, I'm done. I'm going home. So she, she got in a fight. He left. She stayed there and she was like, and I don't know why. She was like, I still like posted the photo of us at the concert, even though we weren't even talking. Right. And so I was, you know, I was talking to her and I was like, why, well, you know, like, let's, let's kind of debrief. Why'd I was you like, do why, that? Yeah. If somebody asked you that in a workshop, what would you say? Yeah. She was like, well, I knew if I didn't post a picture, my friends knew we were there. And then what would have happened? They would have been like, oh, are you guys fighting? Are you okay? And she's like, I just, I knew we would have been fine. I just didn't want to answer it. Mm. So I was like, okay, like, let's think about that. Right. You're doing it to 
And there's two different reasons people do that, right? It's either that instance where they're like, I don't want to get questions from people. You know, everybody's guilty of scrolling through somebody's Instagram and being like, wow, they haven't posted a picture with this person in six weeks. I wonder right. how they are. Um, or it's to really try and trick your brain into feeling better about your own relationship, right? It's if I'm getting, and it, it is like, if you look at it from a psychological standpoint, it's getting, you're getting that reinforcement. You're getting that positive reinforcement from however many likes you're getting, 100, 200, 300 people commenting how cute you are, how great right. relationship goals, couple goals. Um, and, you know, that's something that we really try to do when you're saying, like, learn the healthy things. Mm -hmm. It starts from being a friend in that situation, right? And we're not saying never comment on your friend's social media, right. never like a photo, but it's following up in real life, right? So if you're going to like this photo, I'm going to also text you and I'm going to say, like, hey, it looks like you guys had a fun weekend. You know, what were you doing? Mm -hmm. Or what? how was that restaurant? I've always wanted to go there. And it gives me as the friend the opportunity to not just blindly reinforce your relationship, that I don't know how it is, right? As a friend, you only see one slice of the pizza or right. one piece of the pie, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, you don't see the whole thing. So it's really trying to unlearn that I'm just going to support you blindly because I'm your friend, mm -hmm. right? And it's my job as a friend to support whatever it is you do all the time. Mm -hmm. And instead, it's, yeah, I'm going to support you. I'm going to be that person. But it's asking those things. If you notice your friend is, is maybe posting more than they normally would or posting a lot less mm -hmm. or changing anything about them, right? Maybe right. you're usually colorful and loud and you're more quiet, or maybe you're usually more reserved and now all of a sudden it's this opposite thing. It's not just saying, oh, I guess they're fine. Mm -hmm. It's asking, you know, how's everything going? Um, if your friend is upset, one of the lowest bar things you can do, and it really does make such a difference, is what do you like about this person, right? And it does sometimes sink in. It's like, oh, I don't know. Like, I can't give you five reasons why I like this person, but yet we're still in a relationship. Right. So it's asking those open-ended questions and really learning to have that conversation. And I think that's something One Love does so well is that it's not just me or any of our engagement team or any of our facilitators getting up there and lecturing. Mm -hmm. It's asking questions. So it's forcing, you know, a group of students, millennials, Gen X, who maybe aren't necessarily conversing in person so often all the time right. to have those conversations. Yeah. And I've never, I've, I can't tell you, well, last year we've had, we worked with, you know, over 25,000 students in New Jersey alone. And it's, I've never been in front of a group of students where it's been silent, Yeah. right? They always, because every, like I said, and I'll say it again, everybody has relationships. So everybody has a story they want to tell. Everybody has, you know, something that they want to add or say. Um, and that is why, you know, again, to circle back around, why we start off with like these lower, um, less intense, I should say, films and discussions, right? That talk about just defining these 10 signs, that mm -hmm. talk about social media, things that everybody engages in. And then we eventually move up to, which like I said, you know, we would love to stack on them, right? So start off at the bottom and kind of work through those conversations until we get to um, our first film, our capstone film that we worked on, um, which is called Escalation. And it, it looks at, again, a college student on campus and the way that the relationship starts from their first meeting all the way up and through the end of the relationship. Um, and it, it's a more intense film. It does have... Um, physical, emotional abuse, um, sexual abuse in that film. So, which is why we like to start off with the lower ones. So we're not going in for that 
shell shock of worst case scenario, right? We want to show that it starts off like this, right? It starts off so small with things that you would accept in a relationship, right? If you go on a first date with somebody you met on Hinge or Bumble or whatever, and they're like, who are you texting? Or this is what you're going to eat. You There wouldn't be a second date. Yeah, you'd never go back. Right? So it starts off so small where you're learning over time, you know, how to accept these different behaviors um, until it gets to a point where you might be stuck or you might not know. Um, and for the film Escalation, for all of our workshops, we do trainings for other people to be able to lead them. Mm-hmm. So um, Escalation is the only one of our films that is required for you to go through a training because, like I said, it does have that sensitive content. Mm-hmm. So those trainings are either done in person, if it's a region where we have um, staff and offices to do that. We also do them every single day online. So, um, you know, all of our engagement team leads these online trainings and, you know, we've got people from all over the country, um, who just found one love online and they're like, yeah, we want to do this. Or we heard about you through this or through something else. Um, just to, um, really have anybody who wants to lead this discussion and have this kind of conversation with anybody in their community is able to, to do that. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, Transitioning a little bit to what if you're the one in an unhealthy relationship who's kind of like causing, you know, hurt and pain and trauma to someone else, like without even realizing it. I think it's really easy to kind of think like, oh no, like it's them. It's not me who's doing that. I'm not like someone who would do something like that, quote unquote. Um, What steps can someone take to make themselves and the relationship better in that capacity? I think the first step is really awareness and and to realize that self-awareness is not the same thing as insecurity. It's actually very, very healthy to periodically look at your own behavior Hmm. and really try to understand uh, what you're doing that's positive and what you're doing that's negative. And so, like I said earlier, if if you're finding that you're angry all the time or you're you're calling your partner uh, names or you're trying to isolate your partner from their friends and family or you feel extreme jealousy and distrust, those are signs that something's off, you right. know, that, that really something, uh, you know, underlying is wrong with you, not, not wrong with you as much as something you ought to you know, really think about and to, work out to work out and correct, and maybe it's coming from another place. We all bring different kinds of attitudes and understandings from our families, from our histories, from prior relationships to the current relationship, and it's always good to seek out help, professional help, to to begin to get into what are these? Why am I acting this way, and why am I feeling this way? Because if you, if you have some of these really extreme feelings, it's, it's really not healthy for you and it's not healthy for your partner. And yeah. it's really possible to explore them and become aware and change yourself. That mm-hmm. is a very, very doable you know, thing. One Love has put together 10 signs of a healthy relationship as well as 10 signs of an unhealthy relationship. Let's start with the unhealthy signs. Many times these unhealthy behaviors are used to gain power or control and can have a negative impact on your well-being or day-to-day life. Now, we've already spoken about a few of these, but here's the list of 10 altogether. Intensity, jealousy, manipulation, isolation, sabotage, belittling, guilting, volatility, deflecting responsibility, and betrayal. 
Now, it's just as important to recognize if a partner is doing this in your relationship as it is to recognize if you are engaging in these behaviors towards a partner. Now, for the 10 signs of a healthy relationship. We have comfortable pace, trust, honesty, independence, respect, equality, compassion, taking responsibility, loyalty, and communication. Healthy relationships are the ones that bring out the best in you. Even though no relationship is perfect, healthy relationships make you feel good almost all of the time and generally bring you up and not down. So, yeah, and I feel like a lot of the times, like, at least I'll speak for myself, like a lot of my kind of issues that I've experienced in my own relationships have been kind of directly from like my childhood and like the relationships that like I've had with my parents specifically and like what was working and not working with like my mom and my dad and how I've kind of like used that experience and either like accidentally mimicked those behaviors or intentionally mimicked those behaviors because I wanted to. But after, you know, I've been to therapy multiple times and a lot of delving into kind of like who I am and how to make myself better. And I think a lot has come from like, oh, like, well, how were you treated like as a kid? And like how, you know, and I think that we don't really think about that as adults. I think we think like, oh, you know, like that as a kid is one thing, but as an adult, I'm a completely different person. And I think it really does like seep into who we are, whether we really like what we're doing or we really don't like what we're doing in a relationship. Yeah. And, and I think like you bringing up therapy and stuff is so important too, because in these relationships, it's called a support system for a reason, right? It's not your partner. It's never your partner's responsibility to be your end all be all for whether it's you recognizing like I have to fix this or I have to work on this. Sometimes it's okay to take a step back from the relationship and, and work on things solo or mm -hmm. with somebody else. Right? So if it is affecting you, if you're feeling, you know, as the other person in that relationship, um, you don't have to sit there and take it right. You don't have to go through everything with that person. You can say, you know, maybe we should take some time apart. Maybe you should talk to somebody else. And that's not making you a bad person. It's not making you a bad partner or significant other. Mm -hmm. It's really, you know, you can't help somebody else if you aren't helping yourself as well, right? right. Like put the oxygen mask on first yep. um, to be able to be the best person you can be for, for both of you in the relationship. So mm -hmm. It's understanding. It's not deflecting that responsibility. It's it's saying, you know, here's the things I need to work on. Um, and then also your support system around you. So if you're a friend and you're noticing that your friends might be engaging in unhealthy behaviors or, um, you know, negative behaviors with their partner, there's ways to go about that in, in a similar way that you would help a friend who might be a victim in that situation. Mm -hmm. um, it is, it's using those open-ended questions. It's not going in there trying to say, you know you're doing this wrong, mm -hmm. right? It's pointing things out and being there as a friend, saying, you know, you're my friend, I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out how we can we can help them or totally. how we can help that. Um, which is why, you know, I think it goes back and, and we'll keep saying it that the recognition and the understanding of these signs and why they're so important um, is so important and so vital to both parties in this situation. Right. Absolutely. And I think for many people, communication is like mm -hmm. really key to a healthy relationship, because if you kind of share like 
what's good and what's bad and you're open and honest and authentic, I think that can lead to a lot of really healthy conversations um, as long as you're doing it in kind of like a respectful way. Um, And I'm wondering what are some tips that you have for healthy communication at the start of a relationship, especially for young people in talking about like STI status, their past relationship status, if they want to disclose that, and especially with consent. Yeah. I think <laughs> Sam's got this one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it's so a lot of people are so worried in the beginning of a relationship, especially young people. And like I said, I work primarily with um, high school students and so many of them will say all the time, like, I don't want to kill the mood or I don't want this person to not like me if I start saying what I'm okay with and what I'm not okay with. And so they'll gloss over it and they'll keep kind of like pushing things under the rug, right? Um, Until they're like six months or however long until they feel stable. Right. And then, but then I always challenge them with, okay, so you're six months into a relationship and somebody says, I actually don't like that you text me good morning every morning. It really bothers me. I don't like to talk to people first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. How's that going to make you feel when you're six months in? Right. right? It's almost you're too like, late because oh you already did that. Right. I've been doing this for six months and now it adds a whole level of anxiety on top of that. Right. Where, you know, and that's something so minor, right? That can very much be right. fixed or altered totally. or whatever. It's never too late to not not text someone good morning but I change that but it's you know if you think about the way I know how I would react if somebody said that to me and be like wow I can't believe I've been so annoying right for six months and you didn't even like this right right and then and you didn't tell me and, and I didn't ask me. and now it's this weird thing that happens and it's like this like weird level of anxiety um have those conversations early on Right. Whether it's communication style, right. If you're a texter, if you're somebody, I'm, I'm a communicator. I text all day long. I talk to people all day long. Mm -hmm. My whole job is communication. Right. Um, so, you know, being with somebody, if I'm with somebody who maybe doesn't or doesn't really have their phone on, right. That's something either I would have to say, okay, this is the person that I'm dating. I can figure this out. Or we would have a conversation where, Hey, you know, I know you're like, you're so busy, but maybe once or twice throughout the day, if neither person is willing to work on that, I think I said it earlier, right? It doesn't mean that it's wrong. Right. It just means that maybe we're not a great mix, that we're not a good fix. So it's having those conversations super early on, right? And um, it all comes down to that trust, right? So if you're not comfortable having a conversation with somebody about STIs, maybe it's a sign your relationship is moving a little too quickly, Mm. right? So that comfortable pace is something we talk about all the time. Um, it's really easy, especially in the era that we live in with media everywhere for relationships to start off like really quickly. Cause I already know everything about you. I'm going on your date on this date with you. I already looked at your LinkedIn. I found right. yours, right? Like we, That's we talked about all of this. Yeah. So it, it almost is like, okay, we've been talking, especially with so many people meeting online. It's like, we've been talking for two weeks. I know so much about you. Now we go out on our first date and it kind of just skyrockets. Right. Right. So it's really owning with yourself. Those are all such important conversations to have. And especially if there is a reason that you have to have that conversation, right? Whether it's past trauma that you feel, you know, maybe you need to disclose to this person before getting into an intimate relationship with them or your STI status or any of those things. If you're not ready to have that conversation, take a look at the pace that your relationship is moving. Maybe you need to take a couple steps back before you add that other level of intimacy into it right Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that at all right it's just owning how you're feeling and then I would add to that that when you are communicating 
we've all heard of using I statements, yeah. saying, when you do this, this makes me feel this way or that way. And that is a really effective way not to uh, become accusatory or blaming, but just explain to the person how that behavior affects you and how it makes you feel. Um, and then another, you know, a further technique is to actually then for the other person to say, okay, I heard you say X, yeah. Y, and Z. Yeah. To make sure, because part of it is just really knowing that you're being heard. Yeah. And that alone is sort of 50% of communication. And then that, what you've said, has been heard and respected. So be, being patient in those kinds of communications and slowing it down so that you can actually go through those steps really improves the ability to, to get to know each other better and, and understand each other's needs. Yeah. Um, I just want to say thank you both so much for, for being on here. One Love is doing massively crucial work to really like teach young people how to be in an unhealthy and healthy relationship comparatively. Um, and it's really important to, to teach the skill of love and consent and all of those things that you're doing. So thank you so much for, for being on. Well, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Our goal is really to help everybody love better. Mm. That's our theme on our website. I and love that. We, uh, we think the world will be a better place and we can really reduce the statistics on um, abuse and violence by doing that. Have you ever felt anxiety about having sex or experienced pain during intercourse? Emotions are deeply intertwined with sexual activity and anxiety, depression, and fear of intimacy can all contribute to painful sex. The good news is, now there is Millie, the gentlest vaginal dilator on the market. With a design that puts you in control, Millie can help reduce sex anxiety by breaking the negative cycle of muscle contraction that causes pain. Learn more at www.milliemedical.com. Lovability's Bangover Prevention Kit is your ultimate sidekick to the perfect intimate encounter. With fuckboy repellent, bay spray, morgasm mist, hallelubia lube, and Lovability's special vegan condoms all delivered right to your door in one convenient nondescript package. What more could you want? Check it out at lovabilityinc.com. Need a new sex toy? Spectrum Boutique is an awesome, sex-positive toy store that has a no-nonsense approach to sexuality and sexual education. They believe that fulfilling your sexual desires is an important self-affirmation and human right, and they welcome all identities, curiosities, and experience levels. Go to SpectrumBoutique.com and use discount code SEXEDWITHDB10 to get their latest goodies. Our creator, producer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our assistant producer is Kathy Cohen. Our graphic illustrator is Alana Rance. Our sound engineer is Oliver Devone. Our fundraising co-coordinator is Jamie Cooper. And our other fundraising co-coordinator slash content assistant is Callie Cochran. Our music is by Ben Sound and Hook Sounds. Thank you so much to our featured voices, sponsors, and our listeners. Tune in next time.